continuing this morning in our series of what we call Everyday Idols. And so as we're going to say each week, most of you don't have like a metal or probably carven image in your house that you bow down to every day and, and ask, you know, be praised or give me praise. But every one of us in here have idols in our heart. That is, we have things that we give, say, this is of the highest worth, we ascribe worth to, and we have things in our life that we get our worth from. That can be possessions, that can be people, that can be anything. We are great at making idols out of all kinds of things, even and especially good things. And so we're talking about four of these everyday idols in February. The first one we looked at last week is the idol of control. And so we want to speak the gospel to the idol of control. That God is great, so we don't have to be in control. We can stop walking around with all our demands and all our agenda and making sure everybody fits it with closed fist, and a closed fist with a control idol is ready to punch somebody because they really wrestle with anger. This week we're going to look at how God is glorious, so we don't need others' approval. Then we'll look at how God is good, so we don't need to look elsewhere for satisfaction or comfort. And then we'll look at how because God is gracious, that we don't have to prove ourselves, we don't have to perform. So we believe that this is not just some sort of framework by, come from men, but from God. If you look in the Bible, you see this continued refrain of idolatry, the idolatry of our hearts. But we believe that there's good news. And Psalm 27, I think, will point us in that direction. So let's hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. And they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Father, we thank you that if you were on our side, whom shall we fear? To some degree, God, we, we confess that each of us at times... And some of us, all the time, are battling the fear of man. And we thank you, God, that there's freedom for us in the gospel today. 
We ask that we might know the truth and the truth would set us free. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was recently told about a, a television show that takes the modern technologies that we have in this world and how they affect our everyday lives and just plays that out to an absurd and sort of ridiculous end, but then makes you think like, oh, well, I could kind of see that. And one of these particular episodes is about living in a society where your value comes from how you are rated by others through your phone. Okay, so you're already seeing how this is kind of connecting with reality. So we all know that we get likes, whether it be through Facebook, Instagram, or whatever else is probably the latest, greatest thing. But in this world, in this show, is like, say I was to walk up to Jonathan, and we had a good encounter, I would give him a rating on a scale of one to five. Like, that was a five-star, buddy. You know, you're a five-star encounter. Denise, uh, 4.5. You know, Melanie, two. But, uh, just kidding, Melanie. But what, the way this works out is this isn't just a social thing. This has become ingrained into all of society. And so your rating equals your value. And not just your value as you perceive it, but your value when you go to the bank. So if you want to get a loan on a house, you have to have a certain rating. So to tell people going to get a loan or going to rent or to live in a certain neighborhood, so if you want to move into a certain neighborhood, uh, sorry, but you have to have at least a 4.3 rating to get into this neighborhood. And so what it creates is this society where everyone goes around just kind of being fake because you have to have good encounters with people because you're always being rated and liked by people all of the time. And so if you accidentally bump into somebody, or if you make somebody mad, and especially if they are a high-ranking person, and they give you a low rank, it shoots you down, and that affects your value. And so you live in this sort of bondage to people-pleasing. You live in this bondage to getting your value and your worth from others' approval of you. And your goal in life is to get into these inner circles where people who are higher valued or higher, more liked or have a higher rank will therefore then rank you higher so you'll be validated as a person. Now, if that doesn't hit close to home, I don't know what does. This is an absurd sort of satire of the way life actually works for many of us in our world today. So many of us are living in the bondage to others' approval. Some of you in here, this might not be your particular idol. You might say, I don't care what other people think. But who knows, that might be the image that you want to perceive. You want everybody up here to say, I'm the person who doesn't care what other people think. And that's how you get approval. We can call this what we want. You can call it approval. You can call it affirmation. You can call it acceptance. You could call it inclusion, but whatever you want to call it, this is a very dangerous and a very devastating God that wants to rule your life. So let's think out loud for a, for a few minutes here. Why is the approval of man, the approval of others, such a temptation for us in our lives? Okay. All right, so we see I, I, I need this. I've got to have this to run off of, to live off from. What else? 
Feels really good. We're going to talk out in a minute about this is not totally a bad thing. It's just a bad God. But scientifically, whatever that means, there is some type of chemical rush that you get when you see that you have a social media like. You can look that up. That produces almost some type of addiction within us to do what we need to do to get that sort of affirmation. Like our bodies even start to crave it. Any other reasons? For some of us, this is so woven into our stories. For some of us, growing up, we grew up in certain families to where we figured out really quickly that if we were a certain kind of child or a certain kind of person that we would get approved of, that would make us feel really good. And so what we've done from a young age, whether it be at home, whether it be at school, whether it be in sports, whether it be in your workplace, we have learned to be whoever we need to be for whoever we're around so that we can get that value that we crave for. And some of you in here, maybe, you don't even know who you really are. Some people you live with and work with, that's why this is good news we not only want to hear, we want to take to the world. They don't know who they are because they've sacrificed their very God-given identity on the altar of others' approval. And so we thank God this morning that the gospel isn't silent on this issue. We thank God that He tells us, I actually designed you for approval. I actually assigned you for aff- designed you for affirmation, for acceptance, and for inclusion. That's not a bad desire. That's what we're created for, a relationship with God where we receive approval. We're created for relationships with others where we are affirmed and where we are accepted. The problem is, is that we remove God from the center and we make God not the source of the approval that our hearts long for. And so we find ourselves as people like drinking salt water the approval of others that just creates more of a thirst instead of a satisfaction. And we come up with these crazy ways to deal with it, like old Stuart Smiley from a long time ago, if y'all know who that is, who looks into the mirror and says, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. We create all this silly self-talk that we're just trying to convince ourselves of. What God wants to give us is a better self-talk that comes from His voice, His authority, His Word. But this means that we must trust that God is glorious so that we don't need to live enslaved to the approval of others. So we have four questions as a church that we use to help us think through our lives when we read God's Word. We're just going to use those as sort of our outline for today. Who is God? What has He done? Who are we? And so what should we do? So who is God? Well, today we're saying that God is glorious. He's glorious. That means His opinion, His word reigns. When we say that God is glorious, we must first address the lies that our hearts are drawn to, and that is that others are more glorious. If we're honest, many many of us in here today, we would say, sure, I think God's glorious. But you know what? His likes, His value, His word, it doesn't really help me in the stuff of everyday life. That's a, that's a good sign we've got some idolatry at work. 
And trust me, this is the one probably of all of these four idols I struggle with the most, as you're going to hear. So I'm right here with you on this. Is that we look to other people to tell us who we are and what we're worth. We look to maybe other groups. Some of you maybe have a hobby, maybe have a, something that you're interested in. You think, that's the group I need their approval. If you're a student, if you're in school, this can especially be tempting to think, I've got to get in this circle of friends. I've got to do whatever it takes. I've got to dress however I need to. I've got to act however I need to because they are the gods who will approve me. And it's in a sense that we want to live in the glow of the glory of these other people. For some of us, it may just be your biological family. The biblical phrase for this is called the fear of man. So if you want a just straight up biblical phrase for this approval idol, it's called the fear of man. In Proverbs 29, 25, we hear this, the fear of man lays a snare. It lays a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So what we want to do is look into Psalm 139 here from the very beginning and see how glorious God is in the face of the fear of man. So what are we talking about when we talk about God's glory? Well, first of all, we're trying to define the impossible because God's glory is His holiness, which is His matchless, incomparable greatness, beauty, and perfection. So to riff off Jonathan Edwards here, the glory of God is the infinite and matchless beauty and greatness of God's manifold holy perfections. That's a mouthful. Only to say, God is greater than anyone and anything in this world. His glory is untouchable. And in Psalm 27, we see first of all here in verse 1 that the Lord is glorious as the Lord. All caps here. In your Old Testaments, if you see all caps, it's saying He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. He is the Lord of Israel. He is the one who created the world, who called His people by name, who made them His, who secures them, who keeps them. He is glorious at their salvation so they can say, Whom shall I fear? They don't have to bow to other lords because He is the Lord. He's glorious as the stronghold of their life. So they don't have to be afraid. They don't have to look to other gods or other people and say, you're what's going to give me my security. This relationship, this possession, this approval, these likes, that's where I find my security. No, the Lord is our stronghold. He's glorious as victorious in verses 2 and 3. Over all our adversaries and foes, and all the armies that would encamp against us, and the wars that would rise against us. People who have an approval idol do not like opposition. They want things to be peaceful. Can't we all just be happy? And I'm here to help us all be happy. You settle down, you settle down, and I'll be here in the middle. And I won't be who God's created me to be. And I won't tell the truth. I'll just do what I have to do to quiet it all. But when the Lord is glorious as victorious, we can be confident. He's glorious as our shelter in verse 5. It says, He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. And to go back, He's glorious as beautiful in verse 4. This is an important verse in the middle of this psalm. But the psalmist is saying here in the midst of all this, this fear, this fear of man, 
this insecurity that he is going to seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And why? So that he can check off he attended church? No. Please, let's never pursue God as a checklist. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. As we look in these psalms to combat these idols, we see for these psalmists, they're showing us that the heart of our worship, whether it be control, whether it be approval, whether it be comfort, whether it be performance, is who do we perceive as most beautiful? That's not merely in terms of like appearance. It's in terms of who, who, what is the thing that I just think is the most glorious? Whose inclusion, whose house would I rather be invited to? The house of the Lord? With his presence or the house of fill in the blank? Whose house do you find your identity in? Whose invite, whose welcome, whose presence brings you your identity? He's glorious, he's praiseworthy in verse 6. The psalmist says, My head shall be lifted up above my enemies. I will enter his tent with sacrifices, shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Notice there's a freedom here. I don't have to worry about what others think anymore. So I can give God my praise. He's glorious, he's faithful in verses 7 through 10. He says, I'll seek the Lord and I'll trust that He won't turn from me even if my father and mother have forsaken me. The Lord will take me in. This is really good news for those of us in here who maybe are struggling to earn a parent's approval, a family member's approval. You're like, nothing's ever going to be good enough. The Lord will take me in. It's glorious in verses 11 and 12 as our God and our guard. We can stand firm. In verses 13 and 14, He is glorious as the one who will one day reveal His perfect, beautiful glory to us in the land of the living. And so therefore we'll call to wait on the Lord, to be strong, and to take We've seen this in many cartoons or uh, especially children's shows. One, the, we're, we're not at Christmas, but we're in February. You think of the movie The Christmas Story where you've got the bully? Can't remember his name. Somebody remember his name? And then you've got the little guy. And this little guy is the one who talks the big game, right? He's the one walking around picking the fights. And he probably couldn't beat up anybody, but because he's got this big, strong dude walking around him everywhere he goes... He is just emboldened. He is just full of confidence. He is just full of courage. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He's the smallest guy in the school, but he walks around with his chest stuck out and his head held high. Why? Because he knows his best friend can take anybody. It totally changes his perspective on life because of whose shadow he lives in, because of whose shelter he is protected from and by. This is, a, this is a, a image of what God is calling us to see is that as we go out from this place today and we walk in this world is that we have the most glorious one in all of creation whom we walk with. 
I mean, just imagine, this has been game-changing for me as someone who struggles with this. In every conversation you have, it's not just you and that person. God is there with you. If you would just imagine, He's sitting at that table with me when I have to have that conversation with that person. Whose opinion do I care about the most? Who is more glorious, this God or this person? Who's bigger? You see, an approval issue is a theology issue. It means your God is too small. The person, group, or idea that you fear the most is your God. Your approval fix, wherever you go for that, whether it be social media, your tribe, your group, your family, that's your God. I want to ask you this morning, who's well done... Who's that a girl? Whose happiness motivates you the most in your life? And if God is not supreme in that answer, then He's calling you to something better. The reality is their glory cannot compare to God and will never satisfy. For some of us, the most practical thing that we might do that would sound the least practical, is to go find you a book on the attributes of God. That is just his characteristics of his greatness and just dive into that and just stand in awe at how great he is. That could actually be the most practical thing is every day before I start my day, I'm just going to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and put everyone else in my life in perspective. But for others of you, it may be a heart belief. You've got the head knowledge right, but as you live in your life, there is a huge disconnect who you truly live for the glow of their glory. God is glorious, so we don't need to live for the approval of others. But what has he done? Well, we see the supreme glory of God through Psalm 139, through Psalm 27. You notice I didn't remember to change that, obviously. Psalm 27, in the work of Christ. So the lie that we wrestle with in this question of what has God done is that we must earn approval. I've got to earn this. I've got to earn it from other people. I've got to be whatever they need me to be. Because this is the role I play in life. I'm the person who just meets everybody's needs and then they tell me how great I am and how much they love me. I'm the person who just calls people. I never talk. Nobody asks me any questions about how I'm doing. And I don't even really want them to anymore because I'm so used to it. I'm just, I'm just this sounding board that started out as a good thing and is kind of a good thing, but then it became a warped thing, and now I know if I don't play this role, then they might reject me, they might not like me anymore, and then who will I be without their love? And then for others of us, there's the lie that that's how you have to live before God. You've got to earn His approval. You think, well, Jesus might have got me this far, but if I'm going to stay in God's love, then I'm going to, I got to, I got to just work hard. I got to do more. I got to, I got to try harder. This is where the gospel comes in so powerfully for us as we contemplate this question, is to realize that Jesus alone can earn us the approval that our hearts long for. 
Jesus alone can bring us into the relationship with God that our hearts long for, that we were actually created to have, that God wants us to receive. That approval, that affirmation, that acceptance, that inclusion that you long for, that's not a bad longing. It's just a bad Lord. But God wants to be the God that He's created you to experience in your life. And so we see this as Jesus becomes a man. And we see Him living His life and He receives all His identity from the Father. Jesus is the boldest guy that you could ever read of if you just read the Gospels. You talk about somebody who didn't give a rip really what others think and then loved others more than anybody ever has. Where did that flow from? I think we have Matthew on here. It's this. This is Jesus starts his ministry. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When the banner of that word is over your life, you are now free from having to live as a people pleaser. And Jesus lived that perfectly. His family did not approve of Him. They even tried to get Him to just calm down and shut up. They're all, they think you're crazy, Jesus. You're from Nazareth. You're a carpenter. Quit going around saying you're the Son of God. His hometown rejected Him. His religious community rejected Him. The Roman Empire rejected him. And Satan offered him all the glory of the world if he would just live outside of the approval of the Father. But the beauty of the Lord was greater than all the beauties of the world. And we see this so clearly as Jesus goes to the cross no greater sign of rejection than as he's nailed there and mocked. The greatest nightmare for approval idolater is rejection. And on the cross, Jesus is rejected. And not only is he rejected by the world, but he takes the forsakenness, the wrath, the judgment of God that we deserve in our place. The judgment we deserve for being people who said, God, you know, your approval really isn't that great. I'd rather worship all these other people, things, and possessions. And He bears it in our place to free us from it, to rescue us, to make us the sons of God so that now we can be free from the opinion of man. And He rises to give us His Holy Spirit so that, that we people pleasers, we approval idolaters now can go out into our everyday lives and actually love people not just so they love us back. And He brings us into the inner circle of the glory of the triune God. This is amazing. Do you realize that if you were in Christ this morning? This is the inner circle you're in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's amazing. You may be discluded at work. You may be rejected at home. 
But you're with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. As a kid, I remember when I was in kindergarten, a big part of my story is I've been to, to think about it over these years and why I wrestle with this approval idol so much. So I remember when I was in kindergarten, I wasn't great at sports. And going into gym class was always kind of difficult. And I remember one day, and these are guys that would later be my best friends, but at least at this point, they were playing basketball or something, and they did not allow me to play with them. Now, as a five-year-old, that stings pretty bad. It can make you angry, it can make you bitter, but above all, it can make you ashamed. And another part of my weirdness as a kid is I would get sick and throw up really easy. So I don't know what was wrong with me. If I would like to see a Big Mac on TV and I didn't like all the ingredients, my mind could imagine what all of that smelled like, and it would make me feel really sick. And so some of my friends, not really friends at school, found this out. If they could burp really grossly, they could make me get sick. And so here I was, wanting to fit in, wanting to have friends, <laughs> and like it's just the exact opposite. Right, just the, the butt of the joke in those early years. And what it created in me, or stirred up in me at least, was this desire to do whatever it took to be included. And so even in elementary school, I can remember beginning to tell inappropriate jokes because it would get laughs. I remember knowing that I needed to really value sports and figure out whatever it took to get good at sports because that's the way that you got in. And then later when I truly believed that Jesus had rescued me from these things, these, these idols, at least enslavement to it, I started to see this take place within my Christian walk. Even later in life as a pastor, as a Christian, is reverting back to those old ways and saying, what do I need to do to fit into this group? What, do, what are the right things that I need to believe? What are the right things that I need to say? What are the right actions that I need to take? And I'll just tell you right now, if you don't experience this, this is not a joyful experience. This is not a joyful life. But in all that, what I was doing was not just responding to being sinned against. I was sinning in response to it because I was making these other people, these other things, even the life of discipleship in the place of God. But the gospel comes to approval idolaters like me and like you and says, you don't have to earn it. Jesus has earned it for you. You don't have to do whatever it takes to fit in or to be welcomed in. Because God has done everything to bring you into His relationship, to His presence, to His glory, to the glow of His beauty that is better than any other approval in this world. But we must know who we are. We must make Psalm 27 our song, our story. If you're in Christ this morning, you can say, I am the Lord's. Covenantally loved not conditionally kept. 
I am held in the stronghold of his strength. I am not held by the approval of others. My emotions don't have to go up and down like a seesaw based on how other people are responding to me. I am safe, included, never forsaken. You see, God's not just glorious. He's your glorious Father. We watched a movie recently called Wonder. It's pretty good. I don't ever give recommendations because I know everybody has different theories on that. But it's about a kid who has a pretty severe facial deformity, disability due to birth, and uh, life's tough for him. He's often rejected, made fun of, and mocked. And it gets the best of him in one scene, and his mom is sitting down, and she's looking him in the face. I don't remember. She's got him by the shoulders, and she's saying, you are beautiful. I love you. I know how wonderful and beautiful you are, and one day they're all going to understand how beautiful and wonderful you are. And you know what he says? Probably what some of us say. You have to say that. You're my mom. It doesn't count because you're my mom. I want you to ask the Spirit right now to, tell, to, to say, is that what you're saying to God? It doesn't count because you're God. You have to say that because you're God. If we're there, that means there's idolatry at work in our hearts. Because what the mom says to the boy at that point is he says, you are crazy because the fact that I'm your mom is why this matters most. It's why what I say is count the most because I know you the best. And that's what the Father's wanting to say to you today. What I say because I am God and because I am your Father makes it matter the most. You are approved by the Father if you are in Jesus today. That's not up to your opinion. That is who you are in Christ. The word spoken over Jesus right here. This seems too good to be true for me. This is the word spoken over you as you are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ today, you are the righteousness of God. And God is saying this over you, men and women, you are my child in whom I am well pleased. You're thinking, but you don't know me. You don't know about the struggles I've had with pornography. You don't know maybe about the abortion in my story. You don't know about the divorce. You don't know about the same-sex attraction. You don't know about the anger. You don't know about my past. You don't know about my problems. God does. And He tells you through Jesus, you are fully known, you are fully loved, and you fully belong. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says that right now over His people, the Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love, and He will exult over you with loud singing. He doesn't approve of your sin but He approves of His Son. He approves of you in His Son. We say this a lot. Guess what? He doesn't just love you. He likes you. 
He is rejoicing over you with loud singing. Because as He sees you, He sees the righteousness of God. The cruelty, one person said, of an approval idol is you really can't know what others think all the time. You're always playing the guessing game. But guess what? You can know what Jesus thinks. The real Jesus. So quickly, in machine gun fashion here, if we really believe this, how would we change? What might our lives look like? Well, it might be like me with Just Dance. Our family loves us some Just Dance. But one night, we're doing Just Dance, and somebody comes to the door. I can't remember. It might have been Melanie. And my time of great joy becomes ultimate embarrassment. Right? I don't want any of y'all watching me do Just Dance. But there was a freedom, and there was a fun. So I'm not going to start just dancing in front of you guys. That's what we're talking about here, this freedom of like, it's just God and my family. I don't got to worry about being embarrassed. Man, I wrestle with that. So when God is glorious and we don't have to live for others' approval, guess what? You can be bold. You can take risk. You can be vulnerable. How many of us with an approval idol, we don't really share our whole story. We kind of just kind of guard it because it's like if I say too much, I might be rejected. I've got to protect others' approval of me. Guess what you can do? You can take care of yourself. You don't always have to be taking care of other people. Because why are you doing that anyway? Are you doing it to love them? Are you doing it just so that they know how loving you are? You can let other people grow without needing their affirmation all the time versus smothering people. Guess what? You can be corrected, and it's okay. People with an approval idol, they want to get it right before they talk to anybody else because they don't want somebody to correct them because it doesn't feel like a correction. It feels like a rejection. There's a difference between correction and rejection. Us approval idolaters, we got to learn that. Correction doesn't equal rejection in Christ. We can disappoint others. Oh, man, that makes my body shake. I don't like disappointing anybody. I don't want to be that guy. You know what? You can disappoint others versus living over the stress of keeping everybody happy. Or for some of you, spending to keep everyone happy. You can be honest versus flattery. Not only can you receive correction, you can give correction. Something else that would make you shake, right? You just want to always, like me, I want to see the best, positive, and just point that out. You can say no. Imagine that. <laughs> hey, we're doing this in our MC. We're doing this, whatever. Would you like to come do it? Please come do it. You can, you can say no. You can't. There's freedom to say no, approval idolaters. Don't say it too much. Anyway. No, you can. Even especially because I said that. You know what? You can be rejected and rejected and you're going to live. I mean, look back in your story. I'm sure you've already been rejected. And guess what? Here you are. It didn't kill you, did it? You can disagree with others. You, can, you know you have an opinion and God wants you to share it? 
It might not be right. It might need corrected. But you can speak up. You can be unknown, obscure, and unnoticed and not pick for the inner circle and, and, and then keep going. Some of us approval idolaters think, well, if I can't be the best, if I can't be approved, if I'm not being included, then I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to find something I can really be approved in, and that's what I'll do. It might not even be what I like the best. You can be yourself in Christ. You can live for eternity. You can say, the well done, my good and faithful servant, I'll receive from Jesus. That's the well done I'm going to live for. So you can be an open witness versus a hiding Christian. You can share the gospel with people, with unbelievers, with atheists, with haters of God, with self-righteous religious people. You can do that without watering down the gospel. You can do that, and it'll be okay. That's what Christ is calling you to. And this one is a big one for our church that values discipleship. You can be a disciple maker. And you know why it's so hard for a disciple, approval idolater to be a disciple maker? Because you've got to call people to deny themselves, take up their cross, and come and follow Jesus. Guess what? Nobody likes to hear that. So if you can't say to somebody, hey, I want to call you to come deny yourself and die, and think they're not going to squirm a little, then you just don't know human nature. But that's what Jesus is calling you to do. Call people to follow him and to trust this is going to bring us greater joy. You can trust God to provide if everyone disapproves of you and everyone, as the psalm says, even your mother and father, your closest friends forsake you. God never will. Now learning a little phrase, God is glorious so we don't need others' approval, is not like some sort of magic password that's going to make this just happen in your life. This is going to be a lifelong battle. It's going to be a weed that's going to want to keep growing back in your life and so you're going to have to garden it. But we garden it with the gospel. The good news that because God is most glorious, we don't need to live for others' approval. Just imagine if we all lived like that. Probably going to get really messy. Some of you are going to use that as an excuse to be a jerk to people. Some of you have never even practiced it, so you don't even know, right? You're just, uh, malfunction. Guess what? It's okay. This is the kind of church that's a safe place to take steps faithfulness in the spirit so let's follow Jesus because God is glorious we don't need others approval father we thank you so much for this good news we pray God that we would not live under the reign and tyranny of the likes the affirmation the approval the acceptance of others that we would not live to be loved but to love out of the great love we've already received in you in Jesus' name we pray.